You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, last week we touched on the kingly anointing and I'm going to be honest with you. I tried to cover up the fact that the Lord was teaching me while I was, te- while I was sharing with you. Um, and I was so excited. I shared it again with Christina when I got home. I shared it with friends Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, last night was the only time I did not share last Sunday. Uh, but I was tremendously blessed. And uh, I hope you were blessed. If you weren't, it doesn't matter. I was still blessed. But nevertheless, last week we touched on the kingly anointing. And the kingly anointing, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, by his blood he has made all of us kings and priests. You are a royal priesthood. And... The power of the king, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of the king is, there is power. So the thing is, if I am a king and you are kings in Christ, how many of you know all you have to do is speak and you have a guarantee that when you speak, something is bound to happen? Amen. Something is bound to happen. You have a kingly anointing about you. And uh, in fact, last week I shared about the story where uh, Peter walks on water. And most of us know the story. I think it's in Matthew 14. But nevertheless, I, I never saw this before. I shared this with you last week. I knew this part. Okay, um, When Peter, and he's talking to Jesus, he says, bid me come. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out in the water with you. And I, up to last week, I never saw that. Jesus said, come. But when, G, when Peter said, tell me to come out there, in the Greek, it literally means exercise your kingly authority. Exercise your kingly dominion, your, your power. And by the power of your word, tell me to come on the water with you. And so Jesus said, come. One word, come. And what I didn't know last week that I tried to play off, like I did know, (laughs) hope I did a good job, but nevertheless, what I didn't know last week was this. Jesus didn't give a paragraph. He gave one word, come. And then all of a sudden, I realized when they woke him up in the boat before this, when they woke him up in the boat and they thought they were going to die and they said, Jesus, wake up. The wind is against us. The waves are against us and we're going to die. Jesus woke up and he said, peace. And when he said peace, everything stopped. But in this moment, Jesus didn't say peace. He said, come. And that one word reversed the laws of nature. So now Peter can walk on water. Now, I hope you don't think you can walk on water after watching this. But never, I have tried many times. But nevertheless, one word from Jesus reversed the laws of nature. And what I never saw the Lord share with me was this. When he said, come, the waves and the wind did not stop. The waves and the wind continued. But that one word gave him the ability to walk on top of it in the midst of the wind and the waves. And I never saw that before. And I'm telling you, it blessed me so much because there are areas in my own personal life. I'm like, God, say peace. And he's not saying peace. He's saying, come, come, because he is on top of the wind. He is on top of the waves. And that's where he wants me to be. So praise God. I was so I was, I was really blessed and I enjoyed that. But nevertheless, that was a continuation of the week before. Again, the Bible says you are kings and priests. So the week before, we touched on the priestly anointing. And the Bible says, whenever the priests come by their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. Whatever the devil is trying to launch at you or whatever, it seems like your boss, even though he's not your enemy, (laughs) is trying to launch at you or everyone on the road, 
Praise God. Whatever they launch at you, every controversy and every assault is settled by the word of the priest. And the Bible says that they come to bless, not to curse. So you have a priestly anointing that says every time you speak, stop cursing people and start blessing people. Amen. Amen. So I'm excited. All right. Nevertheless, uh, after I looked at that and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was a. Uh, it was like a week or two ago. The Lord said, I want you to talk about words. And he gave me the direction. I want you to talk about speaking, You opening your mouth and speaking. So uh, I hope that you have been speaking over everything in your life. Have you been doing that? All right. Awesome. Awesome. Speaking over your children, speaking over your job, speaking over your church. Amen. <laughs> but nevertheless, this week in particular, I want to touch on the prophet. All right. Touch on the prophet or so much the prophetic ministry. Now, we are kings and priests by his blood. But do you know in the Old Testament, God, um, oh, let me back up a little bit. Let me give you a little bit of the history, the story, so to speak. When God gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, again, that was not God's will. All right. It was not God's will. In fact, Paul says the law entered so that the offense might abound in Romans. But the word entered means it came in by stealth. In fact, we shared this before. But if you go back to the original Hebrew, when God told Moses, he said, tell them if they will keep my covenant, not uh, uh, follow my new covenant, but if they'll keep my covenant and the covenant that they had was the Abrahamic covenant, a covenant of grace. In other words, it had nothing to do with them, but everything to do with how God uh, interacted with Abraham. So when they arrive at Mount Sinai, God says, keep my covenant. What was the covenant? They had nothing to do. All they had to do was receive. Does that make sense? All they had to do was receive. They did nothing to leave Egypt. In fact, they didn't even cry out to God to leave Egypt when they were in bondage. The Bible says in Exodus, they groaned. It never says they cried out to God. It says they groaned. And when they groaned, God heard their groanings and he remembered the covenant that he had with Abraham. Amen. So because of the covenant he had with Abraham, they were the beneficiaries of that covenant. Likewise, you and I today are not under the covenant of law. We're under the covenant that God cut with Jesus, the man. And because of that covenant, we receive in spite of what we do wrong and what we do right. Does that make sense? The Bible says in Romans, where is it? Ah, oh, man, I might be saying, I think it's Romans 5 or Romans 6. It says, for you are not under, for sin shall not have dominion or kingly authority over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under grace, so to speak. So at Mount Sinai, God told the people, if you will keep my covenant, all right, uh, I will make you a kingdom of priests. But if you know anything about the Hebrew and if you studied it out for yourself, you know that the people did not say, yes, Lord, we will continue in your covenant. All right. In the original Hebrew, what they said was this. All that God can command us, we will do. In a sense, it was like boasting, saying, God, give us something to do so that we can be blessed. And so all of a sudden, God goes from this nice, happy. I'm with you. I'm above you. I'm I'm watching over you. All of a sudden, the Bible says, God tells Moses, tell the people to stand back. And tell them, don't come near. (laughs) For behold, I come in a thick cloud of darkness. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you see God angry. Why is that? Because God doesn't want anyone to earn any of his favor. He doesn't want us to earn any of his blessings. We see a mirror image of that when Joseph encounters his brothers. They came with money to try to receive bread. But he put the money back in their sacks and sent them home. Why is that? Because you cannot earn anything that God has for you. We have to come to the point where we realize it's all because of Jesus and Jesus paid it all. Amen. Amen. So what happens? God says, tell the people, don't come near. And after that point, when the law comes, God knows that if the law stands by itself, no one will ever be able to interact with him. And that was never God's heart. 
So God instills the, uh, the ministry of the priesthood. So the priest can interact with me. And as the high priest goes, so go the rest of the people, right? Now, later on, fast forwarding through the story, the priesthood fails, all right? The priesthood fails in the priest Eli. Eli failed to raise his sons. And because he failed to raise his sons the way they were supposed to, the Bible says that his sons caused the rest of Israel to abhor the offerings of the Lord. In other words, it caused them to hate coming to the house of God. And that made God mad. (laughs) So nevertheless, the priesthood, so to speak, ended with Eli. Now, I know it continued on, but it ended there for God, so to speak. The priesthood as a ministry ended there. When Jesus came, all of a sudden, there's no longer one high priest. Now there are two high priests, which is a picture of mixture. All right. But nevertheless, after the priesthood, the prophetic ministry or the kings, so to speak, came. Now, I know Saul was a king at that point and David became a king later, but the kingly ministry was not so clear, so to speak, so to speak. All right. Now, if you know anything about the story uh, of about the kings, you can read it for yourself. The ministry or the, 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 the position of kings failed miserably. All right. David was a man after God's own heart, but he was <laughs> there were some that followed after David. But there were many that did not follow after David to be a man after God's own heart, so to speak. All right. After that failed, God raised up the ministry of the prophets. Now, I know Moses was the type of a prophet, and we're going to see someone else before him who was a prophet. I know Samuel was a prophet as well. But again, the prophetic ministry was not so clear. But after that, the prophetic ministry came up. And then we see Jesus in the Gospels. All right. So you are a king and you are a priest. But what about the prophetic ministry? Now, before we move into the prophetic ministry, know this. The word prophet in the Old Testament, yeah, in the old, in the Hebrew, is the word nabi, N-A-B-I-Y, nabi, and it literally means a spokesman or a spokesperson, someone who speaks on behalf of God, all right, Um, even someone who writes songs by the inspiration of God, so to speak, all right? If you look at the New Testament, the word prophet or prophesy is the word pro-femi, pro, and then the word femi, P-H-E-M-I, yeah, that's right, (laughs) P-H-E-M-I, now, pro means before. For me, means to tell a story. Put the two together, you have telling a story before it actually happens. Does that make sense? So to prophesy means to tell something before it happens. Now, there's two types of prophecy, and I might have this completely wrong, but nevertheless, the way I look at it is objective and subjective. All right? For example, objective is there are some things that will not change. How many of you know if I preach a message about Jesus coming back, that's a prophetic message? Jesus is coming back. He's not come back yet, but because I'm declaring he's coming back, that's a prophetic message, right? However, that is objective. That will never change. Does that make sense? Jesus is coming back. Whether I proclaim it or not, he's coming back. But there is also subjective prophecy. In other words, how many know the Bible says, by his stripes you are healed, correct? But did you know that if I never say it, it will never be applicable to me? So if I am sick, God's word says what? By his stripes, you're healed, correct? But if I don't open my mouth and say, by his stripes, I was healed, guess what happens? God's word is still relevant and it's still true. But because I have not said it over myself, it doesn't come to pass. Does that make sense? So in a sense, what you say is more important than what anyone else says around you. What you say is more important than what your boss says. What you say is more important than what your family says. And listen, I'm saying this reverently. What you say, in a sense, is almost more important than what this says. Because if you don't say what this says, this cannot help you. 
Does that make sense? All right. So are we on the same page? All right. So prophecy, so to speak, is what? Saying something before it happens. Correct? Now, if you look at the difference between prophets in the Old Testament and prophets in the New Testament, there's a significant difference. In the Old Testament, when a prophet would arrive on the scene, people would typically say this. What sin are you here to remind me of? <laughs> now, I think most of you know the story. Uh, most of you know, so to speak, this idea of a prophet. Whenever the prophet comes to town, <laughs> people don't want to come to church. <laughs> Whenever the prophet comes to town, what do you do? You start fasting. You start praying. You start doing things you didn't do for years. <laughs> Clean house, all right? You find all the bad music and you just get it out in Jesus' name. Because he's not going to call me out in front of everybody. All right? When the prophet comes to town, everybody runs. Because the Old Testament understanding of a prophet is what? When the prophet shows up, he's here to call out your sin. Right? Now, again, under the law, under the law, the Bible says where there is no law, sin is not accredited to the sinner. But when the law is in place, sin is accredited to the sinner. Now, praise God, when Jesus died, God removed the law. In Colossians, we see that. God removed the law. So now that the law has been removed, sin cannot be accredited to us. And I shared this verse last week in Romans 4. Blessed is the man to whom the, uh, whose sins are forgiven and whose lawless deeds are covered. Then he says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Now I ask you, is the man blessed because he doesn't sin? No, he's, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> He is blessed because when he sins, his sin is not imputed to him. So praise God, when you sin, your sin is not imputed to you. Now, how, how can God be righteous and holy and just, the judge of the universe, and not impute your sin to you? Because 2,000 years ago, when Jesus hung on the cross, God imputed your lifetime of sin to Jesus. And at that moment, all your sin on him was judged. Now, in him, you're not judged anymore. Praise God, if you were still judged for your sins... You have every reason to be afraid. <laughs> all right? We all have a reason to be afraid. But the power of the blood of Jesus is so much stronger than what Adam did to all of us. Adam plunged all of us into sin. Jesus is so much stronger than Adam. He took what Adam did, and the Bible says he brought many sons back to glory. Isn't that beautiful? So, how did I even get on that? <laughs> um, prophetic. What are we talking about? Prophetic. Doesn't matter. We're, it, even the detours are anointed. <laughs> all right. So we have the, the, uh, the prophetic ministry, so to speak. So all of us were afraid when prophets came. Now, in the Old Testament, again, people saw the prophet coming to call out their sin because they were under the law. But if we are not under the law, I ask you today in the new covenant, how is it if I come with the prophetic ministry? How is it that people can be afraid? You have no reason to be afraid because your sin has been been judged in Christ. So I don't have anything scary or <laughs> anything to condemn. Now, I'm going to show you all that in just a moment. But before we do, let's look at the first time the word prophet was used. Now, there's a there's a, a, a means of interpreting the Bible or studying the Bible, I should say. It's called the law of first mention. Now, anytime the word is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, you get an idea of how God views that word. Does that make sense? Um, for example, in the New Testament, you know, the first time the word wise is used. The first time the word wise. Does anyone know? I'll tell you, when the wise men came to find Jesus, right? They were looking for him. You know how God views wisdom in the new covenant? Anyone who seeks after Jesus, anyone that was pursuing him is wise. Does that make sense? So the first time it's used, we get a, a glimpse at how God views that word, all right? 
Now, the first time the word prophet is used in the Old Testament, let me show you, if you would. It's in Genesis chapter 20, for those of you who are taking down notes. I think I'm blocking everyone on this side. I'll move out the way. Genesis chapter 20, and we're going to read a short story, and I'm going to come to the word. Now, Genesis chapter 20 says this, verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Today, Gerar um, or Gerar was actually the land of the Philistines. Today, I think that's modern day like Iraq or Iran, one of the two. All right. <clears throat> but very interesting. Verse two. Now, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my. Sorry, I know you're looking down reading. <laughs> Sorry. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech. King of Gerar sent and took Sarah. Now, we know that this story happened once before. This is the second time the story has happened. And giving you the context of the story, Jesus has showed up with two angels. All right. And we have the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah. All right. He tells him, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy the city because the sin has reached up to me. So the two angels go out and he stays and converses with Abraham. Nevertheless, he's just left Abraham. But the promise he gave Abraham was this time next year, Sarah will hold a son in her hands. She'll have the son, okay? Now, after that, he leaves from that place where he's looking over and seeing the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He just received the promise from the Lord himself in the flesh. Watch what he does. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, we saw this happen once before. Why is he doing it again? I submit to you. (laughs) It is possible to come to church, hear the promise of God. And still walk in unbelief. But did you know the beauty of grace? Abraham lived nearly 400 years before the law was given. Nearly 400 years. And yet you will never find one time where God rebuked him or God was angry with him. Not one time. If you can find it, I don't have a thousand to give you, but I will make payments. All right? <laughs> I will, if you can find it, I promise I will give it to you. Because, because never, you can't find it. It's not there. And do you know why? Because the law had not yet been given. So how is it we can preach an angry God if we are no longer under the law? Nevertheless, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him. Now, who is he saying this to? To to Abraham or he saying this to Abimelech? God said to Abimelech in a dream by night to him, to Abimelech, indeed, you are a dead man. Who is wrong in the story? We have talked about this before. Abraham is wrong in the story. And yet, did God say, Abraham, you're a dead man? Because you didn't believe me. You're a dead man. Sarah is long gone because you didn't trust me. No, God went to Abimelech. And what did God say? You are a dead man. And look what he says. Because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, I submit to you, it's more than that. She's just a man's wife. Let me show you the next verse. Watch this. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And watch this. And she even her, even she herself said, he is my brother. So it wasn't just Abraham. Both of them were in on it this time. <laughs> in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. All right. Now, we already know Abimelech is innocent, but he's pleading his case before God who just told him you're a dead man. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Look at the favor. Look at the favor. Even in his unbelief and sin, God said, I'm still going to protect you anyways. I'm still going to protect you. And watch this. 
I withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. Now, I, again, my understanding growing up of what a prophet was, prophets call out sin in the church. I know what you did last night. I know what you did the night before. It's a spirit of cigarettes in this area. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, that was my understanding of a prophet. And yet, and yet, <laughs> I mean, we've all seen it. But not, and yet, when I, when I studied this years ago when I was a youth leader, when I studied this, I found out, wait a second, you don't see Abraham do any of that. In fact, I never even saw Abraham tell something before it happened. And yet, what did God say? The man is a prophet. He's a prophet. So I had to go back to the Hebrew. What is a prophet? He speaks on behalf of me. Now, this, is, this takes grace to a whole nother level. The priest, the high priest, does not represent God to the people. The high priest represents the people to God. All right? That's why the high priest must be taken from among men. Jesus became one of us, became one of us, then he became our high priest. We have a man in the presence of God today, and that's Jesus. As the high priest goes, so go the rest of the nation of Israel. So go the rest of God's people. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. First, first John 4, 17, right? But the priest represents the people to God. Did you know that a prophet represents God to the people? All right? The prophet represents God to the people. Abraham is not a great representation of God. <laughs> and yet... Even in the moment of his sin, what did God say? You haven't lost your position. This man is a prophet. He represents me. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> I thought, man, look at the favor. It had nothing to do with him. In the moment of his weakness, that's why the Bible says where sin abounds, grace did so much more. Super abound. And it amazes me when people look at grace and they say, oh, you know, grace is mediocre. Uh, you know. No, <laughs> where sin abounded, grace abounded so much more, so much more. Even in the moment of your sin, you have not lost who you were in Christ. The man is a prophet. Watch this. And he will pray for you and you shall live. God didn't even say, I see the integrity of your heart, so I'm going to let you live. He said, you have to go to my prophet, go to my prophet. And when my prophet prays for you, then you'll live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. That's terrifying to be on the other side of the coin. But praise God, we're all on the right side of the coin in Jesus' name. <laughs> we're all under the grace of God. So, T, can you show the next one, please? Now, watch this in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, and we looked at this verse last week when we talked about the kingly anointing. And I want to give the context because there's a lot in this. There's one thing about Paul's books. Paul's letters, all the way from Romans to, I believe, to Hebrews. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, all right? But all the way from Romans to Hebrews, when Peter, who walked with Jesus on the earth, when he walked with him for three years, all right, Peter, when he looked at Paul's revelation, said Paul's revelation is hard to be understood. This is Peter, okay? <laughs> he said Paul's revelation is hard to be understood, okay? Paul was not there with them, okay? Paul did not see Peter walk on water, okay? Paul was not there when Jesus broke bread and fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Paul was not there. Nevertheless, Paul's revelation was hard to be understood. So when it comes to Paul's writings, we have to take our time. Okay? So look at this in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. It says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Now pause for a moment. What in the world is Paul talking about? 
He's talking about Abraham. The context is about Abraham inheriting the world, receiving the promise of kingship. If you remember that last week, all right? Abraham received the promise to inherit the world. Now, I ask you, when he received the promise, was he under the law or was he under grace? He was under grace. Now, watch this. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. If you replace the word faith with a good opinion of God, look at this. Therefore, it is of faith, which is a good opinion of God, that it might be according to unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor so that the promise would be sure. Do you know how to make the promise that God gave Abraham and to his seed? And the Bible says, if you belong to Christ, you are his seed. So guess what? If you belong to Christ and you are of uh, you, if you belong to Christ, you are the seed of Abraham and the promise that he would inherit the world is sure to all the seed. But how is it sure to you? How can you be sure that you will inherit the world? How can you be sure that the blessings of Abraham are yours today? How can you be sure? It is of faith that it might be according to grace. Now, I think last week or the week before I shared, people have this idea. What is the opposite of faith? And they typically throw out the F word, which is fear. To the pure, all things are pure. So if your mind went another way, you missed it. Nevertheless... (laughs) Sorry, <laughs> it is of faith that it may be according to grace. All right, fear is not the opposite of faith. Thank you for that thunderous amen. Fear is not the opposite of faith. It is not. The Bible says, "Faith is not of the law." Faith is not of the law. The law says, "You shall not. You shall not. You shall not." And it gives me something to do. Faith says, "You can't do anything. You have to sit down." For we who have believed do enter into rest. Hebrews chapter 4, chapter 3, I think, 4. Anyways, nevertheless, we who have believed do enter into rest. So faith says, Matthew Edwards, you have to rest. You have to rest. And the more my opinion of God is, the better my opinion of God is, guess what? It makes me want to sit down. And it makes me want to trust him more because my opinion of God is great. Nevertheless, it is of faith of rest, not of works, but of rest, that it might be according to the unearned, undeserved favor of God, that the promise might be sure to everyone. You know, I cannot say this. If you're in this church and you've been here for a while and you've been deep in in, in the word of God, you can be sure you'll get all the promises of God. I cannot say that. But you know what I can say? The one who just walked in and just received Christ two seconds ago, guess what? The promise is yours. Because it's according to grace. It is according to grace. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know much about God's word yet. It doesn't matter. Guess what? The promise is still yours. Because it's not according to how much you've been in this. It's not according to how long you've been praying and how many hours you put into the church. It's according to grace. It's according to grace. So that is the, that's the guarantee you're going to get it. Now watch this. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, I ask you, I have to ask you, I'm going to tell you. When God made the statement, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He's quoting from Genesis. I believe Genesis 17. Now, I went back and I said, okay, when you said this, I have made you a father of many nations. Do you realize Isaac had not yet been born? Isaac had not yet been born. And at the time, I believe Ishmael was born. And Abraham said, God, let Ishmael be the one to receive the promise. Let him be the one to inherit all that I have. And God said, no, I'm going to take care of Ishmael, but he is not the one to receive the promise. I am still going to make you a father of many nations. So when he received the promise, 
He didn't have Isaac yet. He wasn't holding the promise in his hands. And yet when God said, I have, this is not I will. He said, I have, which is past tense. I have made you a father of many nations. Do you realize by saying it past tense, God is speaking prophetically. Now think about this. In Isaiah 53, the Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. That's a present tense. But Peter, with enough common sense and wisdom by the grace of God, echoed the same verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. I might be wrong. I think it's chapter 2. But instead of saying, by his stripes, you are healed, he said, by his stripes, you were healed. Were healed. Now, why is it by his stripes you were healed? Because prophetically speaking, what God has established 2,000 years ago at the cross is yours today. It's yours. See, the thing is this. When it comes to spiritual warfare, you have to realize, when, when, like, for example, let's say you fall sick. And me and Christina have talked about this because, you know, she's going through a morning sickness. And I, I, I sat down and we, we talked about it. I said, you have to realize you are not trying to get healed. You were healed. The devil is trying to steal your healing. Uh, when your finances get attacked, you're not poor trying to get rich. The devil is trying to steal your riches. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes so that we through his poverty might become rich. You are not trying to get the things that God has for you. You already have them. But the devil is trying to take them. Spiritual warfare does not come from down here trying to get up here. Spiritual warfare is realizing I'm up here and he's trying to take me from up here. That's why even when he talks about the armor of God, the whole point is not fighting spiritual. (laughs) We're not trying to advance. We are already standing on favored ground. We're already standing on favored ground and we don't deserve it. But how are we sure to get it? By grace. (laughs) Anyways. Prophetically speaking, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who is God, whom Abraham believes. Now watch this. If you want to know the him whom Abraham believes, notice the dash. God who gives life to the dead. Watch this. God who gives life to the dead. I'll share this with you next week. Maybe Wednesday. I'll share with you Wednesday. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, I've known this verse for very long, but now the verse speaks volumes to me. Now it speaks volumes to me. We serve a God who says it's not there. So I'm going to call it as if it was. And then it is. If you are like Abraham and you are under grace, you guess what you are. You're not just a king and a priest, but now you are a prophet. And you can call things that are not as though they already were. I, I tell you, I was at work and I share a lot from work because I just thank God uh, the the places I have worked have never been the best places to work. (laughs) But God has transformed me and then he's transformed the place that I worked. And the beauty of it is this. He teaches me so much just from the places where I have worked. There have been times where I I might have gotten in trouble. And I tell you all the time, I I confess I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And I'll watch the whole situation change. But there have been times when I'll go to work and I know ahead of time I'm in trouble. And I'll say, Father, I thank you that you have already given me favor. Father, I thank you that you have already caused this thing to work out for me. Father, I thank you that you have already turned this situation around. And I haven't arrived at work yet. That's the ministry of a prophet. That's the prophetic anointing in you. You have the prophetic anointing to declare something before it even happens. Tell the story before it happens. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that I don't know what's going to happen. But by your grace, you have turned the whole situation around. Even in the area of your finances. Father, I thank you. 
And I shared a couple weeks ago that God wants to reverse the finances of a lot of people in the church and move you into an area of debt free. Praise God. Start declaring it prophetically. Father, I thank you by your grace. You have already done this. You have already done that. You have already done this. We have the ability to. We have the ability. Now, again, this is quote unquote subjective. If I don't open my mouth, then I don't get it. But again, open your mouth. (laughs) Amen. The, the, The connection between the priest and the king is what they say. Guess what the connection is with the prophet? Again, what you say. Now, there's a verse in Job. I don't know if it's the next. Tiki, can you show the next one real quick? I think it's in Job. It is in Job. Watch this. Job, you will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. Now, I was going to show the context, but I didn't want to get lost in words and verses. But Job 22, verse 28, chapter 22, verse 28 says this. You will declare a thing. Declare a thing. You will declare something and it will be established not by you. It will be established for you. Do you see that? My job is not to establish the thing I want to see. My job is to declare it, and then it is established for me. Do you see that? Now, I'm going to share a, a quick testimony with you. Um, most of you remember at the time when we were still at Two Exalt, and we were trying to, uh, Christina and I, we just gotten married. And most of you know, for lack of a better word, the hell we went through trying to get our house, our home. Uh, what started off in March ended in September. That's a, uh, what is it? March, 10, uh, March, April, May, June, July, August, September. Seven months. Seven months. Which should have taken 30 days. Took seven months. <laughs> and I remember we were going through it <clears throat> heavy. And we found the house we wanted, the home we wanted. We found it in March. And we knew we wanted it. We talked to the buyer. The buyer said, it's yours. I've been trying to sell this house for six years. Haven't been able to find, find anyone that wants it. So I said, this is ours. In Jesus' name, Father, thank you. No one wants this house. So... <laughs> Um, and it's in a great neighborhood. <clears throat> in fact, it's so great. I love this. The neighbor said, we saw a lot of people coming in and out of your house the other day, which has happened plenty of times in the last year. But for some reason this time, she says, we saw a lot of people coming in and out of your, your home. And if you know anything, Christina, um, with her morning sickness, a lot of family's been coming. She said, is she pregnant? And I said, yes, yeah, she is. She said, oh, man, I was right. I told my husband, yes, I think she's pregnant. She said, well, I want to make some food for you. I was like, Really? <laughs> You're those kind of neighbors. So, <laughs> so she bought us a whole pot of food. And I was like, man, we, we, got, we got those type of neighbors. <laughs> but anyways, um, thank you, Father, for the favor. But anyways, uh, and then she said, I'm going to do it again next week for you if you like it. So we loved it, naturally. Um, but anyways, <laughs> but anyways uh, when we were trying to get the house, the mortgage company put us through everything they could think of. I mean, everything. They would, we would sign paperwork, and then they would say, we can't find the paperwork. You didn't give it to us. And I would say, no, I have a copy of the paperwork that I sent you. And I have a copy of the verification code that you got it. Oh, we found it. And I mean, this went on for seven months. Then at one point, uh, when we were trying to get the house, there was some free money from the government that we had received. Um, if you're a first time home buyer, free money from the government, you can receive. Take advantage of it, it's free. <laughs> so uh, the free money was based on my income because I was single. Well, we were married in June. I, I, I know that. <laughs> She's not here, okay? So anyways, June 14th. I know that. Anyways. So, so anyways, we were married in June. So because it wasn't finished in June, when we were finally about to get the house in September, we were about to move in in August. We were about to move in. 
They said, wait a second. The free money was based on your income as a single man. You were married. We have to do the whole thing from the beginning. I said, you got to be kidding me. So uh, finally one night I was driving on, um, I think it was on Freedom Drive. I was coming from 2 Exalt. We were having a Wednesday night service. And uh, like it happens on Wednesday nights, the presence of God came, flooded the service. And it was one of those type of days, one of those type of Wednesdays where you just don't move. Everyone would sit down, and it's like you feel, it's like, I mean, you, you feel it's a peace, and you just don't want to move. And everyone just, <laughs> and you just look at each other, and you're like, man, you know. And whether you talk about the message or not, it didn't even matter. It's just when God shows up, it was worth it. You come tired and worn out, and when you leave, you're just like, man, I can't go to sleep tonight, you know. And that's what happened on, on that Wednesday night. And I remember leaving that, and I remember thinking, okay, Lord, we had an amazing night. But I said, where are you? And I'm just being honest. I, be real with God. I said, where are you? Because here we are going through this whole house mess. And I said, I, you know, I, I think I'm a preacher of grace. I do. I, I, we preach grace. Sunday morning, we preach grace. Wednesday, the message is all about the grace of God. Anytime we do anything in the house, it centers around the grace of God. The promise is sure to those who, by faith, according to grace. Why am I going through all of this? Where are you? This is not a good testimony for you. <laughs> Try to put it back on him. It's not a good testimony for you. I'm going through all of this. What in the world? And I remember being so angry and frustrated. You just get real. You forget all the formalities. Forget, oh, Heavenly Father, and in the name of our Lord and most reverent, holy Jesus Christ, your son who's come down. <laughs> you forget all of that. And so I was just being real. And I said, you know, this is crazy. This is absurd. This is not grace. And I'm going to be honest, the Lord just spoke something so softly. He said this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I said, Lord, that has nothing to do with this at all. <laughs> it has nothing to do with this. This is not helping me one bit. And I, let's talk about the house. <laughs> let's talk about the house. And then he said it again. He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I said, all right, explain this to me. And I said, what, what does this have to do with anything? And the Lord said this. He said, you're asking the wrong questions. He said, ask me why I'm, why I'm so joyful, because that's your strength. I said, okay, why are you joyful? And then he preached grace to me all over again. He said, I'm joyful because if I gave you the house according to what you did, it wouldn't be according to grace. But if I give you the house according to what Jesus did, it's according to grace. And I'm so happy because you don't deserve it. You haven't earned it and you haven't merited it. So that makes me happy because now I can give you the house and give you so much more. And now, because I'm happy, that is your strength. And I'm telling you, I was in the car like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I see it now. Okay, you know, big red truck. I was so happy. I was so happy. I went home. I was alive. I was like, you know what? doesn't even matter. What else can you put us through? You know, <laughs> the joy of the Lord is your strength. And right there in the car, as soon as I saw that, as soon as the, 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 the understanding, wait a second, it's all because of what Jesus did. The first thing I did, I'm, I kid you not, the first thing I did, Father, I thank you that the house is beautiful. I thank you that the house won't have leaks. I thank you that the house will have excellent neighbors. I thank you that the house will have this. It will have that. Father, I thank you that we're going to get this one. And I just started prophesying. I didn't need someone to say, okay, son, now you can prophesy in the name of Jesus. No. In the car, by the grace of God, Father, I thank you that this has already happened. Father, I thank you that we won't lose the house to anyone else. The buyer won't get frustrated and upset, which he did. But by the grace of God, he didn't sell it to anyone else. He sold it to us. I'm telling you, I was just so excited. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Yes. That verse I heard as a kid in a song that I just kind of brushed off. No, that, <laughs> that made me excited. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes. 
Man. So anyways, prophesy. Prophesy. Let's, let's practice it as a church. Is that okay? Everyone repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you. That because of your grace, you have favored me at my job. You have favored me at home. You have favored me at the grocery store, at the bank. You have favored me at my church. You have favored me in my neighborhood. And because of your favor that I don't deserve, you have promoted me. You have lifted me up. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Prophesy. Amen. Prophesy. When you're sick, what do you do? You see, the thing is this. When you're sick, what do you say? What do you say? By his stripes, I was healed. You don't say, oh, man, I'm still sick. Oh, man, the sickness is getting me. If the Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue, stop saying what you see and start saying what you want to see. Now, I was going to share this. I didn't want to put it on the screen. I have like one more place to, one more place to go. Don't worry. I can go long. But when God created the world, he said, light be. Now, there was no light, but he said, light be. And it was, right? Now, as a kid, I thought that meant sun, moon, and stars. Wrong. On day four, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, watch this. When he created the sun, moon, and the stars, he spoke to what was there already. He spoke to what was there, and it, it was. When God wanted to see the birds of the air, he spoke to the air, and birds came. When he wanted to see fish, he said, let the waters teem with fish. So he spoke to what? The water, and fish came. When God wanted to make man, he didn't speak to creation. He spoke to himself. Let us make man in our own image. And then he made man. Now, what does that mean for me? If I want to speak prophetically into what I want to see, I have to speak to the thing or the area that I want to see it in. Does that make sense? Again, if you're sick, speak to your body and say, body, in Jesus' name, you are already healed. You were healed. Body, in Jesus' name, you were healed at the cross 2,000 years ago. I'm not trying to get healing. Don't forget, I'm not trying to get it. The devil's trying to take it. And that is how you win the war. Now, can you show the next one real quick, Tiki? Let me share this with you real quick. John chapter 4. Now, as I've shared before, when you look at Jesus, everything becomes easy, right? And I chose the book of John on purpose. When we talked about, last week, we talked about the king. Does anybody remember what book we looked at? Anybody, 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 anybody. Matthew, all right? Now, remember, we looked at Matthew because Matthew chapter 1 the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, who was the greatest king, son of Abraham, who was the first one to receive the promise of kingship. Now, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is depicted as son of David, son of David, who is a king, the greatest king. So in Matthew's gospel, we see Jesus as the king, right? The week before, we looked at the high priest. And does anyone remember what book we looked at? Starts with an L, ends with Luke. There you go, Luke. <laughs> All right. Luke, in Luke's gospel, we see son of man, son of man, son of man, more times than in any other gospel. Why? Even the genealogy goes all the way back to Adam, the first man. So in Luke's gospel, we see Jesus, the man. And the high priest is taken from among men. At the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus is blessing the people, and then he's taken away. On the day of atonement, the priest comes out, and he blesses the people. Just this week, guess what I saw in Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist, his father, he goes into the holy place to serve in the tabernacle. The lot is cast and he's the one that's drawn. When he goes in to serve, the Bible says he didn't believe. 
Remember the angel Gabriel spoke to him and he didn't believe. He said, you and your wife are going to have a son. I know you're old, but by the grace of God, you're going to have a son. But because he didn't believe, he said, you won't speak. That means in Luke chapter one, he came out of the tabernacle, out of the presence of God. And instead of blessing the people like the priest is supposed to, he didn't bless the people. If the blessing is not pronounced, there's no favor on the people. Do you see that? But at the end, Jesus, by his blood, by the, by the cross, goes into the presence of God. And the Bible says he sprinkled his blood in the heavenlies. Then he came back. And at the end of Luke, now he's blessing the people. Do you see that? All right. So Luke's gospel, we see son of man. Now, in John's gospel, we're going to see Jesus as a prophet. But the picture is an eagle. Now, I'll explain this to you. And I hope I don't lose anybody. All right. I'll explain it slowly. Am I talking fast? When I get, I am? Thank you. I'm sorry. When I get comfortable, I fly, okay? In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel sees four images. The same images are mirrored in Revelation around the throne of God, all right? The four images he sees are this, a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle, all right? Again, lion first, ox second, man third, eagle fourth. Now, what are these four images that he sees? The lion is the king of the jungle. We see the book of Matthew in the lion. All right. The next one is an ox. In Mark's gospel, we see Jesus as a servant or an ox. Nobody asks a servant, who's your mother? Who's your father? Where did you come from? Nobody cares. When a servant comes, did you know in Mark's gospel, chapter one, Jesus has already started his ministry of healing people and setting people free. Mark chapter one, he's already started working. So we see the ox. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is depicted as a man. Again, his genealogy goes all the way back to where? Adam, the first man, son of man, son of man. But the last picture is the eagle, right? In John's gospel, we see Jesus as an eagle. Why an eagle? Do you know that the eagle flies above every other bird? There's no bird that flies above the eagle. It's like the alpha bird, so to speak, right? It flies above every other bird. We see things linear. I can't see beyond this wall, but an eagle flying above can see what's on the other side of the wall. So you see a prophetic ministry. Does that make sense? Prophetic ministry, all right? Now, there's also a verse, I believe, in Isaiah or Jeremiah. I think it's Isaiah. It says, they shall renew their youth like the eagles. I submit to you, the more you stay in John, the younger you will become. And for all the young people, you will stay young. <laughs> now, in John's gospel, Jesus is depicted as the eagle, the prophetic ministry. Okay? Watch this. John chapter 4, verse 5. So Jesus came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. I hate this idea that Jesus is like so supernatural that he never gets tired. I'm, I'm serious. I hate that idea. It's like he doesn't walk. He just floats everywhere he goes. You know, in the morning when everyone else has wake, waking up, he's like, I didn't sleep. I prayed all night. I fasted. <laughs> Look at this. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. <laughs> Sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. He was 100% God, but on top of that, guess what? He was 100% man. All right? Verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Next verse. Verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Next verse. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Now, there's a powerful truth in all of this he's saying, but I'm, I don't want to get sidetracked. I want to get to the point of the prophetic. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said, watch this. Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Show the next one real quick. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, you have well said, notice well, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. <laughs> and the one whom you now have is not your husband. That's number six. In that you spoke truly. And the woman said to him, don't go to the next one. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Why is she saying that? In fact, I'm not going to show you the next one just yet. But immediately after she says this, she changes the subject. <laughs> She's, she doesn't even talk about the husbands anymore. She says, mm, do you think we should worship here or worship there? <laughs> right? She changes the subject. Now, why? Because when you perceive, oh, man, this dude is a prophet. He's going to call out my sin. Now, it looks like, it looks like Jesus called out her sin. He said, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. One more time. What did Jesus say? You have well said. In the Greek, this is almost like a praise. It's not like saying, oh, you did right. Thank you for telling me the truth. It's like, oh, man, praise God. Thank you so much. Oh, man, you couldn't have said it better. <laughs> then he says this. You have, you, when you said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Again, it's like starting it with a praise, ending it with a praise. Now, it looks like he's revealing sin. But he's not. You know, when you encounter someone that is really a new covenant, New Testament prophet, they'll never expose sin. But I didn't show you in the beginning was this. When Jesus sits down, don't forget, his disciples, where are all of his disciples and his followers? They're in the city. Where is Jesus? He's by himself. If you back up even to verse 1 to verse 4, Jesus is not trying to go to Samaria. He was going somewhere else. But the Bible says he had to stop by Samaria. In other words, the Holy Spirit led him here because he had to encounter this woman. There's something in God that says, I cannot pass over you. I have to come to you. So Jesus had to stop in Samaria. And then when he stops in Samaria, he encounters this woman. So it looks like he's exposing sin. And that's where you would think you, you, you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. That's six. Six men in her life. She just met number seven. All right. But it looks like he's about to expose sin. Now, let me show you new covenant prophecy. New covenant prophecy, show the next one. New covenant prophecy should come from new covenant truth. Now, would you like to know what new covenant truth is? And I'll, I'll close. I'll show you this, show you the end of the story, and we'll close. Watch this. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. This is the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And this is for all of us today. We are under the new covenant. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Stop. What covenant did he make with them when he led them by the hand out of Egypt? The covenant of the law at Mount Sinai. After they left Egypt, he gave them the covenant of the law. But God says this will not be like that covenant. Look what he says. Uh, where am I? Led them out of the hand of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Next verse. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. You won't have to tell people to know the Lord. Watch this. For they all shall know me. The word know here, for they all shall know me. No, it's experientially. In other words, you're going to fail and mess up, but you're still. But God's going to say, even in that moment, you're going to know me better than you did before. You will know me from the least of them to the greatest. Grace takes those who are least and makes them the greatest. Praise God that you are not great. Father, everyone who said amen, bless them. <laughs> from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive. The word for can also be translated as the word because. But nevertheless, for, this is the clause of which God says, I'm going to do all these things. I will be their God. You'll be my people. All of you will know me from the least to the greatest. I will do all of these things for you. Why? Because I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Do you see that? If I am, quote unquote, the prophet of the hour and I step in and I start calling out sin, I ask you, what spirit am I in? What spirit is a prophet in when he starts calling out sin? When God has already spoken the new covenant, your sin and lawless deed, I remember no more. I don't even remember it. How can I be a prophet and call out sin? My question, what spirit are you of? I thank God that I'm the pastor of the church. Because you know what? (laughs) I refuse. I'm serious. I refuse to let anybody come in this church and prophesy judgment, condemnation to anybody in this church. Because it doesn't fall in line with the new covenant. God said, I'm going to do all these things. The old covenant said, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. It put it all on you. God says, forget that covenant. You broke it. Why? Because you were consumed with you. But in the new covenant, God says, forget the use. I will, I will, I will, I will. And why am I going to do it? Because of your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Now, let's go back to the story and we'll close. All right? Let's go back to the story and we'll close. Jesus, it looks like, is about to expose sin, correct? He just told her her situation, and she said, what? You are, I perceive, you're a prophet. Watch how she tries to adjust. (laughs) Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. (laughs) So she tries to change the subject. I perceive you're a prophet. Forget my husbands for a moment. Let's talk about this. (laughs) But Jesus is so gracious, he doesn't say, stop, stop, stop. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. For salvation in the Hebrew, Yeshua, is of the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Next verse. Watch this. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, why did I put that in bold? Do you know how he ended the prophecy? He started it by saying what? You've had five husbands. You've had five. The one you're with now is not, a, is not your husband. But notice how he ends the conversation. This is the end of the conversation. If you look at the next verse, which we're not, she drops her water pot She came to get water. She drops it and she goes straight into the city. She becomes an evangelist. Nobody taught her. Nobody trained her. She just went straight into the city and became an evangelist for Jesus Christ. And you know what? She brought the whole city out to him. And then she told him, I have met him. I have met him. Come and see. He told me everything about my life. He didn't tell her everything. He just told her about her husband. (laughs) But the prophetic ministry is such that once the, the prophetic ministry says, look, God knows your situation. 
But then the beauty of the whole prophecy is this. He ends it by saying, I who speak to you and me. He gave her a revelation of who he was. True prophetic ministry will give credit to who Jesus Christ is in your life. Anytime people give such a, and it has nothing to do with Christ, just walk away. <laughs> by the grace of God, just walk away. Or do this one under your breath. If you respect him, I reject that in Jesus' name. <laughs> I've done that many times. <laughs> I've done that many times. So if you respect and you don't want to be rude, Jesus was rude to the Pharisees because they were hurting his people. Paul said when people under the law came and tried to teach, we didn't even give them an hour. We shut it down. All right. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there by the grace of God. All right? I'm getting there. But nevertheless, true prophetic ministry should end with what? A revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, when you come in church and we say this by his stripes, you were healed. That's prophetically saying, even if you feel sick. No, no, no. You are healed. You are healed. At the end of the service, when we say, may the, uh, may the Lord bless you with the blessings of Abraham, that's prophetically pronouncing the blessings of Abraham over your life. But you know what? What do you have to say at the end? Amen. Amen. Right? Amen. You're agreeing with it. But it all comes from what? It stems from what? A revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why in the same blessing, we say what? May the Lord be gracious unto you. You see that? <laughs> have you been blessed? Awesome. If you haven't, I would. Doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte@gmail.com, at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.